Welcome back, Huda Thunkers. This is your host, Zeb, as always. For this episode and, the, and next week's episode, I'm going to be doing sort of like a Christmas special. I'm going to be reading off a story I wrote for my, my nen uh, back in last Christmas. This is a story called Trash Bandit, and I wrote it in November 30th of 2019. It's a Christmas present for nen. I, it's, this is not an educational episode, no, nor will next week's, but this is my podcast. If I want to read some fiction that I wrote every once in a while, I'll do so. <laughs> this week I'll be reading parts one, two, and three, and next week I'll be reading the rest of the story. Part one is titled The Old Ways, so let's get started. Full moons are a blessing and a curse. On one paw, a full moon night makes for some appealing scenery, but on the other paw, it leaves you wide open to predators. Gathering food is always a rush job on a night like this. In the past, I've watched the gatherers do it plenty of times before, but every time I see them in action, it gets my heart racing. This time, it's different. Tonight, we don't just watch from the safety of the tree. Tonight, my buddy Brox and I join the ranks of the others to gather food by the creek. Tonight, my heart isn't just racing, it's practically bursting out of my chest with excitement. Brox and I peek our heads out of the tree hole, crawling into the moonlight, we leave our worried moms and the younglings behind. My lungs fill with the cool mountain air and I hear a familiar voice. To the ground, it says in a hushed way. The command comes from the raggedy old coon with a long scar running down his skull named Snicked. No rock will be overturned and no grub harvested tonight without Snicked's say-so. That is how things go for just about everything our clan does. Snicked is the head honcho and I think he likes it that way a little too much. The second Snick's words pass his fangs, we all scurry down the trees, wetting our paws in the dewy grass below. To the river, Snick whispers to the rest of the gatherers. He turns back towards Brox and me. You two young cubs, stay close behind me. Brox and I follow his orders. Our role is that of spectators more than gatherers. This being our first night in the job, it makes sense he would try and baby us. I am stone-cold bored out of my mind. I feel the urge to join in the action, but Snick keeps a close eye on Brox and me. Stay behind me, boys, and watch how it's done. Snick lectures us as he wets his paws in the creek. I'm no stranger to how the gatherers procure food from the creek, but watching it up close is a different experience from watching from the trees. Another raccoon close to us lifts a rock to search for crayfish, causing the familiar slurping sound of the river mud and sediment detaching from the bottom of the rock. I watch as he reaches underneath the rock to pull out whatever tasty morsel is lurking there. All of a sudden, a twig snaps in the trees to our left a different direction from the rest of our clan. All the raccoons gathering food stop what they are doing to listen for another signs of danger coming from the woods. We hear another twig snapping that's followed by a large branch breaking. A few raccoons start to fidget as tensions grow amongst the clan of gatherers. Snick opens his jaws to give another hushed command, but before his words escape his mouth, the trees start to shake violently as a bear comes crashing out of the woods. The bear makes a lumbering sprint towards our clan of raccoons, gathering food by the creek. He's a young bear, and he has a temper. He bellows as he runs. Scram, you little pest! This is my territory now. The entire clan turns away from the creek and starts to scurry towards the tree line. There's no other option when facing an angry bear. Snick leads Brox and me to the safest route away from the bear's fury. But some of the raccoons come too much too close to his swinging paws, a coon to our right catches just the edge of the bear's swing. He cries out in agony, but still manages to escape with his life. Satisfied that he's gotten his message across, the bear slows his pursuit. Do not enter, do not return here, coons, or you will be my next meal. He gives us a final warning. 
Us gatherers reach the tree home and meet up with the rest of the clan. Another seasoned food gatherer is carrying the wounded coon not too far behind us. The mothers of the clan come out from their tree holes to tend to his wounds. The clan is shaken up by the latest bear attack. Some of the mothers are scolding Snicked for allowing such a run-in with a young bear. One of the mothers starts to lay into our clan's cautious leader. How could this happen, Snicked? You take precaution after precaution, yet seems every night you're scampering back home with another wounded coon at your heels. Another mother shares her concerns. This lifestyle is dwindling our numbers and weakening, weakening our clan. She offers a solution. We didn't have nearly as many injuries or attacks when we scavenged food from the humans. We should go back to taking the food they leave at the edge of their dens. Snick does not like her proposition. He turns his head towards her, showing his badly scarred face to the entire clan in the full moonlight. Pointing his paw to the scar, he says, This is what happens when we get near humans. I'm too young to remember the days of our clan gathering food from the humans, but I'm told from the other coons that they were the good days. The humans left out more than enough food at the edge of their dens frequently. They tell me the only reason our clan went back to the forest, back to the old ways, is because of Snicked. Brock told me that his mother told him one night, I'm telling you, Rocco, my mom says Snick didn't always have a stick up his butt. He says before she says before Snick was the leader before he got that nasty scar up the left side of his face and and ear he was really friendly. He loved to watch the humans. Brock continued telling his rumored story. One night Snick convinced a bunch of the other gatherers to follow him to where the humans liked to play loud music and drink out of bottles. He wanted to scavenge a dumpster full of food. Some of the humans saw Snick climb into the dumpster and started to attack him. A couple of the other humans started to throw the bottles at every raccoon they could find. Snick got hit in the face, and that's how he got his scar. He's hated humans ever since. Snick continues to voice his fears about the humans to the clan. His voice is filled with fright. The humans will draw you in with their peculiar way of life. They are the most interesting creatures to observe, but it is not worth quenching your curiosity. They are a vile and hateful lot. They sue destruction, sow destruction with every step. One of the respected clan mothers offers Snick the response, We are not going to observe them. We are going to live by them. Their perpetual offering of food in their bins is a resource too valuable to ignore. This life is too dangerous for us coons. We must return to the humans. Snick fails to, ins to inspire the clan to stay away from the humans, using the wounded gatherer from that night as evidence to why the clan needs to change, the mothers get Snick to compromise on scavenging the humans for food. They decide the clan can go back to the humans for food, but they will start with just gathering food from one human clan. I'm pretty bummed about it. I was hoping to get to explore more than just one human den. They settle in a large human den made of logs on the outskirts of town. It's relatively large for a human den, and this human clan tends to put food out very frequently. I can't wait to see my friend, my first humans up close. That was part one. Part two, the fresh food heist. The very next night after the bear attack, our clan packs up and moves to the woods behind our designated human den. The gatherers of the clan scope things out to make sure the area is safe. The mothers start fixing up the tree holes. They are very preoccupied. While the older 
or the older adults keep busy, I decide I can't wait any longer. After hearing so much about them, I must see what humans are like. Despite Snick's orders to stay within the tree line and to stay off the humans' short grass, I venture onward to start exploring. Brock comes along with me. I don't think he's nearly as curious as I am, and he is definitely not as brave, but he is a good friend. He is probably telling himself he's keeping me out of trouble by tagging along. No matter why he decided to come with me, I'm glad my pudgy friend did come along. Despite his ten tepidness, Brox is a great wingman for any kind of adventure. In the early hours of the night, Brox and I make our way to the edge of the forest, where the trees meet the human short grass. There is light coming from their den, and you can see clearly inside, but we are still too far away to see what they are doing. Brock tries to convince me to stop here saying, we've broken enough rules for one night just by going to the edge of the forest. I ignore him and make a break for the bushes right outside the human den. Reaching the bushes outside, I feel mesmerized by the light illuminated from the inside. Brock scurries in behind me as I peer up ever, even closer to the light. As I lean closer and closer, something touches my nose. I look to see what I've bumped into, but nothing is there. It seems to be invisible. Backing away, I'm startled at first, but then lean in again to investigate. It is like a clear sheet of ice shielding the human den from the outside, but isn't nearly as cold as ice. We can't seem to get past this sheet of ice, but at least Brox and I are able to look through it. We sit outside the human den for the first half of the night, watching them from the other side of the different sheets of warm ice around their den. We count four humans and one short-haired wolf living inside. Why anyone would want to live with a funny-looking wolf is beyond me. Two of the humans are big adults, one mother and one father. Another human is tiny and either sleeps or cries all night. The other human's size is in between the adults and the newborn crying human. She's a female and my favorite human to watch. The other humans call her Tilly. Watching these humans is just about the most exciting thing to ever happen to me. Brock surely notices me smiling from whisker to whisker. Brox keeps whining about getting into trouble with the rest of the clan, so I cave, and we go back to our tree dens. It's not long until daylight comes. The whole clan nestles into bed, and no one suspects that Brox and I have already made first contact with the humans. I slept the next day, dreaming of the humans and their bizarre way of life. The next night comes, and the clan is already running low on food. Snick the Coon, with by far the most experience with human, gets all the food gatherers together. After telling Brox and I to stay behind for the first human raid, Snick debriefs the adult gatherers. He tells them to be, to be, quote, extra cautious around humans, go for the trash cans, and to flee at the first scent, of scent or sound of anything suspicious. Meanwhile, Brox and I are making a break for the tree line. We are well aware of the rules of engagement already. I convince Brox to even... That even though Snick says to go for the trash cans, we are going to hit the big metal box in the middle of the den. The night before, we saw the adult male open the metal box in the middle of the night and eat right from inside. When opened, it lights up and shows all of the fresh food the humans eat. While the adult gatherers are busy with the leftover scraps, Brox and I will be making the big score. Last night, I saw the human short-haired wolf come and go through a small opening at the back of the den. Every time he went through, a sheet of plastic closed the opening behind him. That is how Brox and I will gain entry. When we get to the tree line, I tell Brox our plan with a small plastic door. He's hesitant about it, but agrees it's the best option. We both venture onward with the hope of scoring some tasty food, but unlike Brox, uh, I'm also looking forward to getting a look inside the human den. 
Brox and I sprint across the short grass, surrounding the human den. We reach the small plastic door of the back entrance. I know humans sleep at night, so it's no surprise everything seems quiet. Last night, Brock noticed the human short-haired wolf sleeps in the adult's adult human's bed with the door closed, so we should be safe from him. Peeking my head inside, through the plastic door, slowly, the smell of human hits my nostrils all at once. Their stench is bizarre and unlike anything I've ever smelled in the woods. I cautiously place one paw on the warm, stone-like floor. That didn't seem to arouse any danger, so I proceed to bring in each paw one by one until I'm fully standing inside the human den. Nothing but the tip of my striped tail remains outside. Even though I'm terrified by being in this ex extraordinary place, I feel more alive than ever. This is the adventure I've been seeking. After checking to make sure the coast is clear, I turn back to the plastic door to see if Brox has entered yet. As expected, my apprehensive friend is still cowering outside. I try my best to coax him in, but Brox, what are you doing, bud? Get in here. I can't do this without you. I don't know, Rocco. This seems a bit too far. Watching from outside last night was one thing, but going inside the human den? He responds. Brox is my best friend, but he sure knows how to pick the perfect time to get on my nerves. Tensions are mounting as I argue with Brox at our entry point. Get your furry butt in here. We're taking too much time arguing. Brock tries to convince me to turn back. If you think about it, Snick, if you think about it, Snick would never approve of us going inside the human dead for any reason. We shouldn't be here. You have to pick now to voice those concerns. I bark back at Brock's. Brock defends his timing by saying, well, you're always so compelling. You make it so hard to say no to your ideas. I didn't realize how stupid this fresh food heist of yours was until we got to the door. This is not the time, Brock's, I tell him again. All our arguing must have made quite a racket. I'm known for having a loud voice for a raccoon my age, and in my situation, like the one I'm in currently, my voice tends to carry. The thought of grabbing Brox by the paw and dragging him in through the plastic door is coming into my mind when I hear a gasp behind me. The noise makes my eyes go wide, my hair stands up on, the, on my neck, and my butthole is clenched in anticipation, anticipating fear. I turn around and see the young female, the other humans referred to as Tilly, staring at me. She has an astonished look on her face that quickly turns into an excited smile. For just a moment, all three of us are frozen in our tracks. Tilly is standing now in front of me, grinning and motionless. Brox is behind me, still outside the plastic door, and he's probably shaking with fear. I myself am caught between the two emotions of fear and excitement, with the former quickly overtaking the latter. The moment of motionless ends when I hear Brock start to panic. Run, Brock says to me as he makes a break for the tree line. Panic of my own has fully set in and I try to follow my fleeing friend. I'm unable to get any traction on this stone-like floor inside the human's den and my attempt to escape is futile. My claws are skittering and scattering about in a frantic display. To my surprise, Tilly reaches down and picks me up. Yet she doesn't turn me right away. She doesn't hurt me right away. Instead, she opens the entire back entrance door, walks outside, and carefully places me on the short grass. There, there, little fellow. I'm not going to hurt you, she whispers to me. I immediately start to look to Brock's. He must have run faster than those pudgy little legs have ever run before because I spot him looking back at me from the tree line. He looks terrified for both me and himself. I feel the short blades of grass run through my paws, and I follow, and I follow my initial instinct to run. 
But something in the back of my mind compels me to stop just a few paces away the, the human from the human that has just freed me. I turn around to face her. Something in the tone of her voice gives off the feeling that she doesn't mean me any harm. She even sounds compassionate. At the sight of me turning around, Tilly's face lights up with joy. She crouches down and holds out her hand toward me. In her outstretched hand is a cookie that smells like peanut butter. Now, I have heard many rumors about human food from my friends in our clan. Cookies are things of pure legend. And peanut butter? Peanut butter is the most coveted form of sustenance. I don't know if this human named Tilly is aware of how valuable this cookie is that she is offering me. But I'm not passing it up. Go on, little buddy. Try my cookie. I made it myself, she said to me. One bite into that peanut butter cookie, and I am in love. All the fears I am holding towards Tilly just melt away. There is no possible way someone who can make something like a peanut butter cookie, something so filled with love and love, could harbor any ill will towards me. I am literally eating out of the palm of Tilly's hand now. I finish her delicious cookie, and when I'm done, she does this peculiar gesture of petting me on the head. Here I am thinking the peanut butter cookie was the most loving thing she could do, and then she goes and pets me? Yeah, I'm definitely in love. Tilly scoops me up into her arms and carries me back into her den. Then she takes me into her own room of the den and lays down on her bed. We drift off to sleep with me just resting in her arms. That was part two. Now on to part three, titled Tilly. Animals are my passion, and every day I try to make decisions that reflect that passion, but I never saw myself adopting a raccoon as a pet. Yet, I acted impulsively, and I brought one into my bed and snuggled with him last night. I, ju I just couldn't help myself. The little guy was so cute and seemed to understand my intentions. When I saw him huddled up against the, the doggy door, it took us both by surprise. He seemed to be having trouble getting back out the door, so I gave him a hand and took him, ba him back outside. While carrying him, he didn't resist or scratch me. Instead, he just relaxed and let me put him down on our yard. I expected him to run back to the forest, and he had started to do so. But then he turned back. I gave him a cookie I snagged from the pantry, and he became an instant friend. Now I'm laying here in bed with him, and he's sleeping in my arms as cute as ever. I can't even imagine what my parents would say if they found out. As soon as that thought crosses my mind, our dog, a black Labrador named Frigo, comes rushing into my room. He's sniffing my bed like crazy. He must be smelling my raccoon friend. Frigo was surely going to find the little raccoon in my bed given enough time. Fortunately, my dad, Frank, comes in to tell me, tell me he made pancakes and bacon for breakfast. Dad sees Frigo, assumes he's just being nosy, and pulls him away from my bed. Then... Dad and Frigo leave my room. That was a close call. I'll be sure to lock my room from now on. My attention goes back to the small young raccoon in my bed, and now he is wide awake. He looks a bit startled from the dog, but I soothe him by petting him. It does the trick. He seems more chipper now. Looking down at this woodland critter, I ask myself, what am I doing? I brought a dirty, stinky raccoon into my bed. and I must be nuts. I see the little raccoon react to my words. I wonder if he can understand anything I'm saying. Yeah, I'm definitely losing my marbles. The little raccoon pulls on my pajama shirt sleeve. I ask him, what is, what is it, little guy? Then he gets into a crouching position using only his hind legs and hold out his right paw. 
I just wait there for a second, try to figure out what he's doing, and then it hits me. I realized the little bugger was mimicking me from the night before when I gave him a cookie. You want a cookie? I ask him. He responds by jumping up and down and firmly shaking his outstretched paw as if to say, yes, give me a cookie. Uh, Okay, buddy, I'll go get you a cookie from the pantry, I tell him. Walking out to the pantry, I'm thinking to myself, did I just have a conversation with a raccoon? Did that raccoon just recognize the word cookie? This has been the weirdest and most interesting 12 hours in all my 11 years. Tilly, come have breakfast, sweetie. We shouldn't just have cookies for breakfast. You shouldn't just have cookies for breakfast, my mom says as I peek out from behind the pantry door. Oh, can I? Just this one time, Mom, please, I plead to her. I promise I'll come back out and have breakfast in just a minute. I just want to have this one cookie in bed before I start the day. Oh, all right, honey. You can you can just this one time, uh, but only because it is Christmas time, my mother concedes. Thanks, Mom, I say with a smile. I'll be out in a bit. Back in my room, the little raccoon is bundled up in the blankets on my bed. The sound of me opening the door prompts him to peek, peek his little whiskers out from his makeshift blanket rec- cocoon. Sitting on the bed, I offer him the cookie. He excitedly jumps out from the blankets and carefully takes the cookie from my hand. The next few days, I have off for Christmas vacation. I spend them playing and talking to my little raccoon that I've named Rocco, after my favorite pizza shop in town. He seems to like the name, and I think it suits him. In these short few days, we have become quite the pair. Rocco, Rocco and I play together on my bedroom, in my bedroom and out in the woods. There is something beautiful about a young raccoon playing in the woods in his, in his element. Things haven't gone completely bonkers uh, where I'm having full vocal conversations with a small wild animal, but we do communicate with each other. Rocco has learned to recognize a few words like cookie, Rocco, Tilly, Woods, Home, Pet, Play, and a few more. He can even communicate yes or no with his body language. It amazes me how intelligent he is, and he keeps surprising me. I know raccoons are nocturnal creatures. I like sleeping at night, and Rocco likes sleeping during the day. But since it is Christmas break, I don't mind staying up late. Rocco and I are taking naps here and there. We split up our time mostly by being awake during the day with a nap. Then he wakes me up at night for a few hours. My parents still haven't found out about him, luckily, but I think Frigo has. Frigo is a good dog, but he doesn't like having Rocco in the house. He growls at him as if he sees him. I think the only reason he hasn't hurt Rocco is because he senses that I care for him. Whenever my parents aren't home or asleep, I let Rocco come and go as he pleases through the doggy door. My parents are usually too busy watching TV to notice a small, silent raccoon running through the house. There are a few times Rocco has visitors come by. Uh, a chubby little raccoon uh, raccoon <laughs> that looks about the same age as Rocco will come down and visit him. I watch him from the windows. The chubby one keeps his distance from me. He is a skittish little guy. Rocco meets his chubby friend, and they seem to be happy to see each other. However, they also seem to be in some sort of heated debate. I try and approach the two raccoons as if I'm a mom keeping their child from a scrap with the neighborhood kids. At the first sight of me, Rocco's chubby friend flees to the tree line. After his friend runs away, I stop behind Rocco. I'm afraid I may have upset the two of them. Rocco turns back at me, and he's acting a bit frantic. 
I'm sorry, Rocco. I didn't mean to scare your friend away. I try and comfort him as I pet his head. That does the trick as Rocco is now starting to purr in my arms. That night, while tucking Rocco into bed, something out of the corner of my eye catches my attention. It is a quick movement from outside my bedroom window. I lift the window and peer out to see if anything is there. I only catch the fleeting sight of a striped tail disappear behind the bushes about 10 feet away. I quickly shut the window to keep the cold December air out of my cozy bedroom. What did I just see? I ask myself. Was that a raccoon at at my window? I wonder, silently. I decide it is too late to worry about passing shadows and crawl into bed next to Rocco. That was the end of part three. Uh, there are the, the rest of the story I will read next week. Um, thank you for listening, Huda Thunkers. Like I said, this is like my first story. I didn't put too much time into it. It's supposed to be like a children's story, um, relatively children's story. It does have Christmas themes. You know, you're hearing from the first per- first person perspective of a raccoon and then 11 year old girl. So I just thought it was interesting from writing from that perspective. Um, it's my first story. But I would love to hear you guys' critiques, um, and feel free to be as nasty as you want. I'll, I'll listen to them. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. Like I said, tune in next week for the rest of the story. That was just parts one, two, and three. Um, we get into the story. Uh, we're only about halfway through, so tune in. Thanks for listening, and have a good week. <laughs>